Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. We're highlighting remarks made by the Honorable Sam Brownback during an Illinois Family Institute forum on religious liberty held at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Ambassador Sam Brownback served as governor of Kansas and represented the people of Kansas in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate during President Trump's administration. He served as U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. Mr. Brownback is the chairman of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, and in that capacity, he has the pulse on the status of religious freedom around the world and right here in America. I want to talk just briefly about the beauty of the First Amendment, of the free exercise of religious freedom. I want to just talk about the beauty of it and the poetry of it for just a couple of minutes. Then I want to talk about what we need to do to preserve it. But first, the beauty of it. This thing is honestly, really is poetry uh, to me. And you think about it, this is the country that starts religious freedom. We're the place that started out. It started out a necessity. You think about it, all these colonies were formed on the East Coast. They came here from Europe where the countries were divided by religion and they fought and killed each other about religion. So if you were an Anglican in one place, you would kill the Catholics in another place and the Catholics would kill the Protestants in this place and it just went on and on. They were, that's how they divided Europe up. So they come over here and the Baptists are in the South and the Quakers are in Pennsylvania and the Anglicans are in Virginia and somehow you're going to form a union out of this group, right? And this is a bunch that is used to killing each other over religion. This, we kill each other over this, and they did. Remember, that's what the pilgrims came here for. They just wanted to practice their faith. And they come across an ocean that they don't know about, and why did they come here? They just wanted to practice their faith in peace. They just wanted somebody to leave them alone and let them be the people that they wanted to be in their own heart and their own soul. What a beautiful thing they did. And then these colonies start forming, but they're different religions. And how on earth are we going to form a country on this? I got a great idea. They're not going to be a national church. In Europe, there's a national church in each of these countries, national church. We're not going to have that here. And you're going to have a free exercise. You can guaranteed practice your faith however you see fit. And we're not only going to just say it, we're going to put it in the First Amendment at the first part of the Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, no national church, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then later it goes on to talk about or abridging the freedom of speech or of press, people's right to free assembly. But it starts with those 16 words, no national church and no limitation on your free exercise thereof. What poetry, what brilliance politically. Out of that, you can form a nation. What brilliance out of that, too, you can form the most diverse society in the world in this country and bring people from every religion and every faith and every ideology to this country to be able to practice their faith peacefully. So the Orthodox Jew in New York can practice his faith. The Amish in Kansas or Pennsylvania can practice their faith. So the Sikh that is in Chicago can practice his faith and do so freely and peacefully so that the Protestant can practice, the Catholic can practice and say, look, this is my country. 
And I believe this. Now, you may not agree with what I believe, but this is what I believe, and this is what I want to practice, and I can practice it in public or in private. Either way, I can do this. And for this, this poetry has lived in this country. Listen to this quote. I just love this one. For men came across the sea not merely to find new soil for their plows, but to win freedom for their souls, to think and speak and worship as they would. This is the freedom men value most of all. For this, they have borne countless persecutions and fought more bravely than for food or gold. Will Durant writes this. Franklin Roosevelt would speak about the four freedoms. Not used to quoting Democrats, but I want to quote this one for sure. He talked about in the four freedoms, the freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear, poetry. This is how we built this incredible diverse nation. And it's not been without difficulties, and we haven't always gotten it right. We've persecuted Mormons in my area at, at uh, different times. The Catholics have had their persecution. The Jews have had their persecution. But overall, we would kind of settle down and then say, no, this is something we stand for. That's the poetry of what this is. This is absolutely essential to be able to operate this nation. It's absolutely essential. You have to have this here, or you cannot maintain a diverse nation like this. And any ground you lose on that in this country will be watched and magnified overseas. This is the lead nation on religious freedom. I've worked and been around the world on this topic. Everybody watches here. Because this is actually a pretty tough thing to get done. Because your dominant religion wants to persecute your minor religions, or your dominant religion wants to use a political advantage to put your, at disadvantage your minor religions. And the communists just want to run it all out altogether. And the Chinese now are conducting a war on faith. And it's a war on all faiths that they're conducting. And honestly, we ought to always start these discussions about just talking the beauty of it, because it really is a beautiful thing. Isn't it beautiful that we have Amish in America? Isn't it beautiful that we have Orthodox Jews in America? Isn't it beautiful that people can practice their faith? Now, we got a big problem. Culture's moved against us. You've heard about the legal arguments trending our way, uh, and they have been. Uh, and I was in the U.S. Senate when we put uh, Samuel Alito on the, US, on the Supreme Court. And God bless that man in this Supreme Court for the fights they've been doing on defining the free exercise clause. Okay, they're really defining it broadly and protected it. And this is critical. So we're going to have the legal ground to operate on. And I once asked uh, Justice Alito, do you think we're going to have religious freedom in America? And he said, you're going to have it in law. I don't know if you're going to be able to maintain it in culture. Bingo. You hit the point. That's it. We've got great legal advocates. A number of them have won these, these great cases. But we've got to start winning in culture. We're getting the cancel culture on us. And let me tell you about my little group, National Committee for Religious Freedom. Formed a group, opened a bank account at uh, Chase Bank. I go to put a check in 30-some days later, uh, and they say, uh, account's been closed. Uh, I said, what? We haven't, haven't done anything. What, the account's closed? I said, yes. Uh, the teller said, you know, it uh, says it's been made at the corporate level, and uh, account's closed. Really? Uh, and so we started pursuing that and investigating. We started getting different answers as to why the account got closed. And, you know, one time they said, well, we're concerned about uh, terrorists and money laundering. And I'm kind of, really? You know, I mean, I've been pretty heavily investigated by a lot of people over a long period of time. At the end, they really just, they never came up with, they gave us five different answers, but they just 
the account's closed. You're closed. Here's where I want to talk about what we need to start doing on this fight. Most groups that I've talked to, they just kind of went away quietly and found another bank or they found another platform. They just kind of, okay, we don't want to really fight with this. Let's just go find some. And we found another bank, but we didn't go quietly because you have to stand up and start being heard and fight on these cases. You can't just, okay, let's just go find someplace else. I have been contacted directly by over a dozen people working in different social conservative generally or religious affiliated groups that had a similar experience where they were debanked, deplatformed, cut off by their data provider, told they, that we don't want to provide you services anymore. And all of them just kind of went, okay, we'll just go do something else. But that then leads to more of that happening to you in cancel culture. This is cancel culture writ large. This is what happens when a company decides, okay, we don't like kind of be associated with people that have traditional values or whatever it may be that they're, that they're fighting against. First thing is don't go away quietly and raise some noise about it. The second one is we've got to fight this one differently. I want you to think, I'm, going to, I'm talking about the culture and the political fight. I'm not talking about the legal fight. The legal fight, these guys are doing a great job and we're winning the case. We've got to win this in the culture. And we've got to get out and organize to do that and to win it in the culture. And to do that, I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to go watch the movie Rocky III. Now, I'm old enough to remember it when it came out. There are probably some of you here that weren't old enough to remember it when it came out. But Rocky III, Rocky Balboa gets beat by Clubber Lang. Uh, he's kind of gotten a little soft. He'd won the title, defended the title a number of different times. And he wants a rematch, he wants to win it again. And he goes back to his old nemesis uh, that now is his friend, Apollo Creed. And Apollo says, okay, we're gonna teach you to fight completely differently this time. You gotta change your fighting style completely differently. And he retrains him and he, and he tools him in a completely different way. And he comes out and fights and wins the crown back, fighting a completely, it looks like a completely different Rocky in Rocky III. I want you to go watch that movie. We have to fight this fight completely differently than we fought other fights. We've got to build a completely different coalition for this fight, and we've got to win this fight. And we've got good grounds on this, and we have to win it, but we've got to fight it differently. Let me tell you what I'm talking about in this in particular. We held a reception, National Committee for Religious Freedom, on the sidebars of the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C. this year, earlier in January. And we just invited in a number of people and a number of people on our advisory board. And I've been struggling. We launched this group a year ago. We got debanked. I've had a real difficulty getting it kind of launched and up and going. And I kept thinking, why are we having so much trouble with this? And I look around the room, and I, I decide, you know what the problem is here? There's a coalition that's coming together that's never played together before. The coalition that we had in that room has never played together. We had Protestants and Catholics and Mormons. Okay, those groups have played together on the, like the marriage issue, life issue and some. But we also had Hindus and Muslims and a number of different faiths that have generally we've been either at odds or we've not worked with much. We had Hispanics, we had the African-American church was there, which has been in on some of the other coalitions. But as I looked around that room, I thought, you know, this team has never, this team doesn't know each other, has never played together. We're gonna to have to build a different coalition for this, and we're gonna to have to reach out to people that are first and second generation Americans, because often those are the ones that have the biggest basis in faith and traditional culture and traditional values. 
If you added up the people in America today that are either first or second generation Americans, so they're either foreign born or they're the children of a foreign born parent, so they're first or second generation Americans, what percentage of the United States do you think that, that number is? Either first or second generation Americans out of what, 330 million Americans, what percentage do you think they are of that? 15, 14, what? 25 percent. A quarter of the American public is first or second generation American. Now we can get into a big immigration debate if you want to. I don't want to tonight because that's not my point. My point is this is a natural coalition for us to work with. These are folks that believe in traditional values. We haven't worked a lot. We are increasingly with the Hispanic community. The Hispanic community believes in this fight and wants this, wants religious freedom. And these are people of basic traditional values as well. And it's the largest minority in America today. We got to build a different coalition than what we have historically in these social fights. And I've been around these social fights for a long time. I've been in a number of different positions. I have the scar tissue to show you. We got to fight different on this one. We can win this fight. We can win this fight with the culture. We're going to be putting forward people of different faiths and that look maybe different than our normal coalitions have looked on this. There are going to be Sikhs that are standing there. There are going to be Muslims standing there. There are going to be people that are of different racial background that are standing there. That's going to be critical for us in this fight, for us to be able to win this fight with the culture. Because otherwise, if we fight it like we have in the past, they're going to attack us and say, this is just an exclusionary fight on your part, or you're just, this is code word for some bit of bigotry that you want to practice. This is not code word for anything. This is a First Amendment that is a beautiful piece of what America, this is more American than hot dogs or apple pie. This is more American than that. This is what we're built upon. And it is critical for us to be able to hold this diverse nation. Ambassador Sam Brownback during an Illinois Family Institute forum on religious liberty held at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. More of his remarks from that special event after this. Did you know that Generation Z is one of the most anxious, lonely, and depressed generations in all of American history? It's true. From peer pressure to more screen time, less personal interaction with others, our generation is twice as likely to struggle with feelings of hopelessness than our seniors. In fact, 42% of us struggle with depression. As members of Gen Z, we've seen this battle from the inside and witnessed the desperation for purpose and yearning to thrive of our peers. That's why we launched Self Evident. Self Evident is a platform hosted by five girls of the Zoomer generation. And our mission is to love our listeners by discussing and dismantling topics from a biblical perspective and to provide an alternative to the mainstream perspective. Help us help others find Christ. Our website is selfevidentpodcast.com. With a woman to look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Massachusetts is rejecting would-be adoptive parents if those parents are Christian, and thus denying a home to children in need, according to a new lawsuit. Mike and Kitty Burke went through all the classes, the background checks, and home assessments required to become adoptive parents, and they scored highly, and yet they were rejected because, as state officials wrote in their report, the couple's Christian faith meant they would not be supportive of kids who identify as LGBTQ. Right now in Massachusetts, more than 1,500 kids are in need of a foster home. 
Not only do LGBTQ advocates deny biology and sexualize children by suggesting their sexual preferences are their identity, they deny kids loving parents as if it's better to not have a home than to be in a home with a religious mom and dad. This is not an isolated incident either. A mom in Oregon was also rejected from fostering kids for the same reason. And again, it's the children who will be harmed. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. It's a big evening you don't want to miss. The Illinois Family Institute's Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet with best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio host Eric Metaxas. Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org. We're talking about religious freedom being constricted by the state. Will the church wake up and say, this is wrong? Eric Metaxas is the author of Bonhoeffer, Amazing Grace, and his latest book, Letter to the American Church, is a wake-up call for Christians to speak out and protect religious liberty. If you will speak up, things will change if we would but try. Eric Metaxas and the IFI Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet, Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. To attend, click events at IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. We're highlighting remarks made by the Honorable Sam Brownback during an Illinois Family Institute forum on religious liberty held at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Ambassador Brownback serves as the chairman of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, ncrf.org. We can win this fight with the culture. We've got to fight in the commercial marketplace on this one, and we've got to fight differently on this one. Republicans look at businesses, conservatives look at businesses and say, look, your job is to be a business. Like Anheuser-Busch, we would look at and you'd say, it's supposed to be a beer company, right? Not supposed to be a social agent change place. But what has happened in so many of these big companies is they've moved left and they've moved into cancel culture and they are moved into social agent changes. Do you know who owns most of these companies? Who actually owns them? Who owns the stock in most of these companies? A guy told me this stat, and I haven't researched it privately, but I'm just sure this is right. If most people voted their stock the way they vote in the polling booth, most of these big companies are big red states. Big red states. Think Alabama. So why, if we own the companies, are they doing the things that they're doing? If the owners are saying, why is this taking place? Why are these companies going woke and left? And they're owned by conservative people. Why is this happening this way? We haven't engaged this fight. The left has been in these companies now for a decade or better and running things, and we haven't even engaged. We've said, I, man, this is what I've often done. If we hold a stock in some company that I didn't like, what did I do? I would sell the stock. They said, well, I don't agree with this, so I'm just going to sell the stock. Wrong answer. We should start organizing shareholder resolutions. We should get somebody on the corporate board. Imagine how this helps the world if we start getting a person of faith on these major corporations' board of directors and just there to ask the question, why would you debank conservative groups? Why are you deplatforming these people? If you just have somebody in the room, we don't have to have a majority of board members there, but we need somebody in the room asking the question, why is this happening? And we don't do it. We walk away from these places. We have businesses are for business. Well, yeah, the left said businesses are for change agents to the society. We got to catch up on the game.
We've got to go into these places and start proposing shareholder resolutions and getting people on the board of directors of these places. And this will help the world. These are global companies. How many global companies do you have here in Chicago? And my guess is not very many of them are conservative. Maybe none of them. And let me give you the good news of this as, as I go to wrap up. This last election cycle, we won the House of Representatives back. We should have won the Senate back. We really should win this presidency in the House and the Senate this next cycle if we will fight differently. If we'll organize what I'm suggesting here, we can win this whole thing. And part of us winning the House this last time around, you know where we flipped seats? We flipped seats in New York. We flipped four Republican seats in New York. We win back the House of Representatives, and a good part of it is in a place like New York. New York? How do we win back seats in New York? Well, they had started attacking the religious community there. They started attacking the Orthodox Jewish community, belittling and not uh, serving them and not protecting them. And they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to vote the other way. We're going to vote the other side. We flipped four seats in New York. And that's a key part of how we flip the House of Representatives. That's not the playbook we normally play. What we do is we gain seats in Texas. That's how we win, right? No. We can we think if we started organizing some of these communities that we haven't worked in previously and getting them out to vote because they believe in traditional values like we do. And they believe in religious freedom like we do. And they want to be able to practice their faith like we do. We win. We can win this fight. We have to fight it a little differently. Let me conclude by just saying a couple of things coming on. I hope you can go on our website, thencrf.org. That's the group that the National Committee for Religious Freedom, the, T-H-E, ncrf.org. Look at that. We're forming up state chapters, and this is the broad-based coalition that I was talking about. Concluding thought. The big thing I really think I've learned recently is not to fight like a man. Fight like a believer. It's a big difference. When David goes to fight Goliath, and this fight could be pretty similarly matched if you kind of look at the size and scale of this as a David versus Goliath fight. They tried to make David fight like a man, remember? They put on armor on him and everything, and it was too big, and it didn't fit very well. And he said, I, I'm not going to do that. Drops all the armor, gets a couple smooth stones, a sling, and he goes out and he tells Goliath, you have insulted the living God. Now, he didn't go out there like a man. He went out there like a sovereign believer in the living God. Goliath makes fun of him, and David's probably got to be sitting there going, you know, I really kind of feel sorry for you, Goliath, because this is really going to go poorly for you, because God's on my side. He fights like a believer. We've got to fight like a believer. God never needs a majority. All he needs is a faithful remnant, and that's you. That's you guys. You're the faithful remnant. But you've got to stand up and fight. You've got to be willing to go out there and face Goliath, who looks impossible to beat. There is no way to win this. And kills him with his own sword on top of it. Don't fight like a man. Fight like a believer. Fight this in prayer. Fight this how the Holy Spirit directs you to do. Listen to that small voice inside of you. Fight that way. Move forward that way. There's days I can read the news and look at this and just kind of think, you know, it's just lost. I just think I'll go back to the farm and just while my way away and have a second cup of coffee, because it's just lost. And yet, is that what God calls us to do? 
I had a visual of this. I was down visiting a daughter of ours in, in uh, Texas, and I was walking back after getting a cup of coffee, and, and there was a big thunderstorm coming in, one of those big ones that roll into the Midwest. And you guys all know what I'm talking about when you see these big thunderheads rolling in, and the sky is just churning, and it's dark. The light poles or lights are coming on because it's gotten so dark with the rolling sky. And this is one to get inside. Okay, I don't want to be caught out in this, so I start picking my steps up to get, get inside, and then the thought, a thought catches me, and I just stop. And I look around, and I see on a light pole that the light's coming on, I see a bird just singing his heart out on top of this light pole. Big thunderheads rolling in the background, dark coming in through, you know, there's going to be a big storm coming through here. And here this bird's on the light pole just singing his heart out. Uh, that's really what God wants us to do. We all see the storm coming. We know there's a storm. But he's not telling us to go run for cover. He's telling us to sing. Sing, rejoice, speak the truth. There's still a constituency for truth out there. He doesn't need a majority. He just needs a faithful remnant. Willing to be out there and bold and brave and not cowering. He needs Davids out there. Just a little shepherd boy with his rocks. (laughs) I don't mean to be preaching it. I mean to be encouraging you because... We're going to win this fight, and it's going to be a beauty when we get it done, and we need to win this fight. Thank you guys for being out and being here and uh, being a faithful remnant. Be joyful, warriors. We can do this. We can get this done. God bless you all. The Honorable Sam Brownback, the former U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, during a special forum hosted by IFI at Jubilee Bible Church, Medina, Illinois. Mr. Brownback is the chairman of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, ncrf.org. Be sure to join conservative radio host and best-selling author Eric Metaxas at the Illinois Family Institute's Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet Friday, November 3rd at the Bolingbrook Golf Club. If you'd like to attend, click events at illinoisfamily.org or call 708-781-9328. And you can give to IFI by going to IllinoisFamily.org or by calling 708-781-9328. Sign on for IFI email updates at IllinoisFamily.org and tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit IFIAction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.